The best products and solutions are often born out of personal experiences. For Sam DeBrower, CEO and co-founder of Doc AI, her breakthrough moment occurred after her son was hospitalized and induced into a coma as a result of a severe accident. Frustrated, anxious, and wanting some help, Sam found herself doing what any mother would, looking for ways she could make a difference. What I was seeing at the hospital, what I was trying to do for my son, I saw other parents trying to do the same thing, trying to understand the machines, trying to understand those numbers, trying to understand the language, trying to access the information so that you could ask for second opinions because the situation was too serious to not ask for a second or third opinion. With a background at the intersection of technology, research, and healthcare, Sam and her husband launched Doc AI in 2016 as an effort to accelerate digital transformation in the healthcare space. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Sam details some of the issues within the healthcare space when it comes to utilizing data to produce actionable learning models, how neural nets are impacting data collection, and what the future of edge AI is gonna do for us in healthcare. Keep listening today on IT Visionaries. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the co-founder and CEO of Doc AI, Sam DeBrower. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hi, Albert. All right. So you are, Doc AI is in the healthcare space. It is something personally I care very much about. Tell me what you are doing to solve or what problems you are solving in the healthcare space with Doc AI. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. So first, let me share a little bit about myself. So I, I did spend my career at the intersection of tech, research, and healthcare. And um, I was introduced to the issues of, uh, of the healthcare system after a very personal story, after my youngest son, who is now 21 years old and who was five years back then, um, had had a, a severe accident. And so mm. with my husband, we did spend a year at the hospital and he was in a coma for a very long time. It was pretty serious. And so I just found myself with my family in the world of healthcare where, you know, I, I saw firsthand all the nightmares <laughs> that you can experience in healthcare. And, you know, the fact that we could not access the information, the data that we wanted to have to better understand how we could potentially help as his parents. And that was my first, my first introduction to, to healthcare. And that was my first, you know, um, the first time I really thought, oh, maybe, maybe I could help, maybe I could have an impact because of my background and because of my experience. And so really um, what we are doing at DocAI is trying to solve the problems of helping making healthcare more data-driven so that the data of today can help you change the data of tomorrow and make better decisions. So we talked about this with some of the other businesses or some of the other leaders that are engineering healthcare-based solutions. And one of the things we often talk about is there's a lot of data, but it somehow is always locked up, locked away, and it cannot be used by other applications or services to figure out what's going on. 
a good example is like your EMR records might only be in one place and no, no one else can access them without you signing like HIPAA forms. It's usually like transferred via like fax. Yeah. We talked about how fax machines still dominate, predominate uh, healthcare offices. Talk to me a little bit about what, how you are trying to unlock this data. How are you unlocking it? And then of course, what's it being used for? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, Albert, uh, when, when my son had his accident was in, you know, 15 years ago, we, we could not share files via the internet. Uh, we didn't have WeTransfer. We didn't have smartphones to communicate. So you can imagine back then it was worse than just facts. But yeah, what you just described is absolutely true. So, um, so this is the thing. There are two, two things to that story. So first of all, uh, the, the healthcare industry is extremely uh, siloed and fragmented when it comes to how they capture that data, how they store it. Systems don't talk to each other. Even the way that data has been captured historically has not been captured in a way that you could, you know, reuse it uh, to build models and be more data driven. So, so that's one. The second thing is uh, the corpus of data we are talking about. So historically, we've been leveraging a lot on the medical records, the EMR, uh, EMRs you were referring to, mm-hmm. uh, or the claims coming from payers. But what is extremely interesting today is that corpus of data uh, is expanding. You know, we all have a smartphone on which uh, we collect a ton of data. Uh, we have trackers, we have wearables, uh, we upload all kinds of tests, our lab tests. So um, what we eat, so that kind of data on top of the new type of sequencing, such as, you know, genetic, uh, microbiome, all that data, um, you know, represents a multi-dimension to your health that we have not been able to capture. So what we have done at DocAI is really build uh, products and solutions that enables to capture all that variety of data, real-world data, the, the ones we historically have been using, but the new ones as well. And we are able to process all that data because the other thing also about healthcare and health data, it's really, really hard to work with because we are dealing with so many formats. So of course we work with HL7 and FHIR, but when you go to other type of data such as genetics, you need uh, different type of pipelines, data engineering pipelines such as bioinformatics, uh, which, which we have. And so being able to enable the collection and the capture of all that data has been really core and we've built all kinds of tools and solutions to enable just that so that it can be processed and redistributed in a more data-driven model. Give me an idea of what some of your customers or some of the partners that you're working with are doing with this information. Because it's one thing to unlock data and then I want our audience to get a flavor for like what can be done once this information is unlocked. Yeah, absolutely. So what has been interesting um, at DocAI, so you see, uh, we started DocAI, I started in 2016. Uh, so the data collection is, is key, like I, I just mentioned. But I also address, you know, the concept of the data being uh, multidimensional. I've always find it very, very hard to only think about care or only think about research. Because in my situation, when I became the caregiver of my son, and, you know, helping him with these uh, uh, chronic uh, issues, health issues. I myself became a researcher. I was not only a caregiver. You do a lot of research. You try to understand. You try to compare. You ask for second opinions. You connect with all kinds of, of forms and so on. So this is why at DocAI, I've, I've taken the bet of 
you know, developing products and solutions that go from research to care. And um, how we unlock that data. So in research, for example, so we have built all these modules of data collections that you use on your phone to capture, like I said, your medical record, but also your genetic test, your food, the air you breathe, uh, and so on and so on. And so by capturing all that data, you can also contribute to research in real time from your phone. We've seen with COVID the importance of research uh, when it comes to our health and the importance of having as many uh, people as possible involved with a lot of variety and a lot of different backgrounds. So the idea of accelerating the way we do research is extremely important to improve care uh, better and faster, but it starts with research. And so what I described, we have this platform, which is a, an AI-driven uh, platform where you can collect all that data and contribute and contribute to the, to the models of our future health. Uh, and you see all that in real time. We do that in care. Uh, we have a, a solution also for uh, uh, care management, more specifically in mental health and um, behavioral health. You know, I mean, with COVID, we've seen half of Americans reporting that the virus uh, has been harming the mental health. This is a, this is a, a national uh, uh, priority. And so uh, the idea of uh, uh, having um, data-driven tools of care uh, to accelerate and enable people to to access the care that we can't provide because we don't have enough human beings is something we've done as well. So we have this solution where um, you can go through all kinds of therapies. You have tools that help you uh, cope with your issues until uh, you can speak to, to a clinician. And all that, of course, you know, all that data is collected and gives you some kind of insights about how you're doing with your health. So is all this collected at the... Um like during a health study or is during a case, I want to get an understanding of where the data is coming from because it sounds like it's very, you're collecting very, um, I don't know how to best describe it, but like the actual, at the case level, right? You're collecting my personal information about my outcomes. So we all, we all know in the United States and Europe, everywhere, a lot of places, there's uh, heavy regulations on what information can be transferred, who has to be opted in. Yeah. Give me an idea of like, is it all, it sounds like it's very much you're collecting at the scientific level, like the outcomes, the inputs about my medical conditions or my current status. Is that accurate? Yeah. So we can do that across uh, disease, across conditions. So the platform and the product have been built in a way that we can, we can serve any type of endpoint. So to give you an example, um, and by the way, you, you mentioned regulation and privacy. So privacy is core at DOCA. We are not only HIPAA compliant. Uh, privacy is by design in everything we do. Everything is consented, opt-in. And so, but you see, we are a B2B, uh, uh, B2B2C company. So we help our customers better serve their customers who are patients and consumers do all these things. Uh, and all those mechanisms I've been explained are embedded in those, uh, in those products. Just to give you an example, uh, a very specific condition in research we are helping with is epilepsy. Mm. So we have this uh, clinical study uh, with uh, Stanford Medical School where uh, we have a few hundred uh, patients who have epilepsy that are helping um, us and the science team uh, understand if we could build a predictive model uh, about optimal anti-epileptic drug. So the problem we're solving here, when you take uh, the anti-epileptic drugs, there are about between 25 and 27 drugs on the market. 
And uh, when a patient um, develops epilepsy, he or she gets given an average between one and three uh, of those drugs. And there's a lot of trial and error. There is no exact science telling a clinician, this is the exact cocktail you have to give for that person. The trials and error are very brutal for the patients because those are very heavy medications. So, and it can take years. That's number one. Number two, those medications are very expensive. So if we could have a predictive model where depending on who you are, uh, the type of seizures you have, your genetic, all kind of things that you collect could help clinicians make a better choice. That would be such a win on patient comfort, you know, just shortcutting all those adverse effects that they are experiencing, getting a better life, uh, being helped faster and better. And of course, um, would have a, a huge impact on the value-based concept of health. Just, you know, making sure we give the right medication because the costs are so, so high. We do those kind of clinical studies for other conditions. So we're doing that for Crohn's and colitis with supplements. It's a predictive model for supplements for people who have uh, Crohn's and colitis. But our most recent clinical study is for a rare disease called uh, Neastena gravis, where uh, it's very hard for people to and for clinicians to predict the progression or the regression of the symptoms of that disease for which we have treatments, but the intervention is, uh, we want to avoid the intervention being too late. And so here, um, the way you can um, understand and measure the progression and the regression of that disease is in the face and in the voice. And so we have built digital biomarkers uh, for people to collect their voice and videos of their face from their phone, from home and so on. So those are the kind of things really we can do in research. So what you're saying here is, just super impressive. I want to walk through some of these cases, kind of like we were talking about, because inherently there's a challenge with collecting medical data, which is it's typically either, it's a lot of times it's manually entered, right? So you go to your doctor, for example, like let's use a blood pressure test. A blood pressure test isn't connected to cloud. It's usually recorded, entered into a system. And I'm assuming some of these other systems, that's how a lot of these health outcomes and studies are still done. People go in, they go in for their cohort test, they were taking a, let's say, like you said, an epilepsy drug or they're taking a drug, they were measuring the outcomes. These things are oftentimes manually recorded into systems. If they're cross systems or captured in sensors, they have to cross systems. Where does the doc AI application interface begin? Does it begin at like the main record store, like, a, like the Epic system of the hospital where it's capturing all the information? Is that where it connect, the connection point? Or is it actually connecting straight into the sensors where the sensors that are capturing this data are now feeding it into Doc AI? Yeah, exactly. That's the latter. And by the way, um, you know, uh, we are B2B2C and the way we have built our product and solutions make it, makes it um, possible for anyone who has a smartphone to participate in those new algorithms of our health. And so everything you described ha- happens on people's phones, on people's sensors. So um, as a company, uh, we are mobile first. And so we are leveraged on every single component of the mobile phone. That's exactly what we do. And this is where it starts. So uh, the, the patients, the, the consumer is empowered to do that, to get that information, to agree to join, to have a full understanding of what's happening for that research, why it's happening, 
And, uh, you know, what's happening with the data, we are very clear, very transparent. It's one time sharing, but also we even, we even reward people in the same application, uh, with points that they can redeem in, uh, Amazon gift cards, uh, in real time. It's all integrated, but everything is integrated in that platform, that solution, uh, that people use on their mobile phone. So they don't have to go anywhere. We are super integrators. So that's one. Number two, uh, I was referring to the biomarkers, the digital biomarkers, uh, leveraging on the voice and, and the face. While we can connect with any third party API, sensors, database, and so on, as long as people give the authorization to do that via their phone, every time we can replace an API with a neural net, which is a, an AI, an AI application, uh, we do that. And so, for example, we have neural nets that can help collect at once your phenotype information, which is your height, weight, uh, your age, and so on, just via a picture. It's a smart selfie. So instead of, you know, collecting four or five data points, trying to find where it is, you just like that picture and it's in your phone. We have the same technology for medication. You just take a picture of your pill box and it's in your phone. Not only the name, but also the dosage, the frequency. It basically understands what is on the, the, the label. It's natural language processing. At the core, Dokia, we are an AI company, and this is where uh, the AI takes place. Uh, there are different touch points where we use that. But every time we can remove the friction of collecting the data, we do that. I'm just starting, my mind is starting to race now and think about all the useful applications of this. <laughs> I'm wondering, how do you collect the outcomes? So for example, if I am in a cohort that is testing a drug or a therapy, uh, of course I have outcomes. My height and weight might not be the obvious outcome. You mentioned earlier there was one that was voice recognition, so that's easier for me to submit tests for, but there's other, there are other things that are more, I guess, you know, you might need the assistance of someone to capture the outcome. Like if I needed to submit a blood test or blood sample in so how do we, how does a consumer side opt into the results of like a like a blood test, or would they upload the results via like a picture or something? Exactly, uh, they can do it via a picture, but they also do it via the the, the lab test facilities API. So simply by uh, giving their the consent by uh, the machine getting their uh, login and password, and it's machine to machine. So we connect to third party APIs as long as consumer agrees to do that and everything gets uploaded into the doc AI app. And there, this is also, there's a lot of uh, AI going on. There's a lot of NLP natural language processing, which is really the capability to extract uh, the semantic intelligence from that data. We do the same thing with genetic tests. You can upload the raw data of your uh, 23andMe or Ancestry test. Uh, we work with other genetic partners when we need different type of uh, genetic uh, uh, data. For epilepsy, we work with Kylos Genetics, for example, because we needed pharmacogenomics. But it's really from the click of a button. Uh, we connect with APIs, with third parties, uh, and this is how the information gets uploaded in the app. So give, a, give our audience a picture of how many different integrations are needed to make this happen. Because wow, we've all seen like those graphs where they demonstrate how many, for example, sales tools there are, or how many marketing tools there are. <laughs> How many tools and makers are in the healthcare space? I'm assuming it's a mind-boggling number. I don't even know if you know the answer. That's probably difficult since there's another one every day, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, I, I don't know. But they are, I mean, they, they, so you see, there are companies that specialize only in that. 
And by the way, I mean, just for the medical record, we connect with Apple Health, for example. Yeah. They've done the heavy lifting. Uh, we also connect with Human API, which is a company that only uh, specialized in, you know, in, in that part. Where we really excel at Doctor is really integrating all those different technologies and sometimes just replacing some of those kind of older technologies with new nets, leveraging on voice, leveraging on videos, uh, pictures, and so on, because this is how we use our mobile phone. And this is how you need to leverage the data collection. Uh, think of conversation, chatbots, the talking to your phone, taking pictures, and videos, and you can really build intelligence in those in those markers, in those digital biomarkers. So, give us an idea of your background, because you you have a background. According to your LinkedIn profile, you have a background in you've been in health for a little bit now. Uh, you built or part of a team at Inui. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. That set up a one minute home based urine test. Yeah, I got stories about that. Uh, but <laughs> but um, but you've also built. It looks like a application employment applications with stepstone give us a, give our audience an idea of your background what you studied what you started building and a little bit about your career yeah no absolutely so i have a, a i think an atypical background uh so my background was academically in liberal arts but i've been very lucky in the 90s to uh, apply for my first job in one of the first internet companies uh in europe and it was in, in brussels i was actually uh, it was in Holland, but then the company I was applying for was based in, in Brussels. Uh, I'm French and I've been traveling a little bit around and I was, you know, uh, and so I was not really in tech. I was just interested. And then I discovered the internet. I'm really talking about the very early days of the internet. <laughs> we didn't have email addresses and I was, you know, all computer stuff. And I was just blown away by the internet. And I thought this is going to change the world. And I want, I want to be in the middle of it because I, my, my brain was fast tracking about all the potential and how we could democratize a lot of things. This is how I met my husband, who's also my co-founder, uh, for the last almost 30 years. We've been building, uh, companies together since we met. He's the scientist in the story. He's the one who has the background in AI. I've been mostly more on operations, but we've done nothing but you know, look at the beauty of technology and the science and try to solve problems with that. And so, yes, so Stepstone, um, actually the company was called Jobscape, uh, was the second largest employment website in the Benelux. And I started that company simply because I needed to hire engineers <laughs> <laughs> for my internet business. And I knew they all had computer addresses. And I thought, wow, this is going to explode. Uh, every time it's just to solve a need that I see, that I have, that my community has, and then it takes off or it doesn't, but that's, uh, that's how it goes. But the healthcare story is, uh, is, is very personal. Uh, to be honest with you, when this accident happened to my son, it was very hard, uh, for him and for us as a family. Those are life changing events that change you forever. Uh, and I think we were lucky my husband and I and my oldest son to find the energy to just first, you know, take care of him. Yeah. And he's doing much better now. But also put the energy uh and, and put our skills in motion. Because what I was seeing at the hospital, Albert, is what I was trying to do for my son, I saw other parents trying to do the same thing. Like 
trying to understand the machines, trying to understand those numbers, trying to understand the language, trying to access the information so that you could ask for second opinions because the situation was too serious to not ask for a second or third opinion. And I just saw I was not alone. And uh, that's something that everybody is experiencing in healthcare. There's also like that layer of frustration where, because I I became interested, the reason why I got my master's in public health was actually because when my dad was dying of cancer, I was in a similar situation where I felt helpless. I'm there at the hospital. I see machines. I see things hooked up to them, but I don't really know what anything is, Uh, kind of like the way you're describing. The other thing that's frustrating is probably you identified is there's not really someone there to help you answer any questions. Yep. You know, you're in a hospital room by yourself. Most of your day is spent by yourself yep. and there's no medical staff, no one presiding over anything. Yep. And so you'll see like a beep or a click and you're like, what is that? Like, you, 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 oh my God. Yeah. Heard, yeah. When they leave you in a room and they don't tell you if it beeps, it's okay. It's in the middle of the night because I was staying there 24 seven. Yeah. Middle of the night, you have that big beep and I'm, my heart's jumps because you're like, oh my God, it's, it's what's wrong. And nothing was wrong. So I, it's funny you say that because I ended up, uh, it was a pump machine and I ended up, you know, learning how to, how to operate that pump. Uh, I just became, you know, the caregiver in the room. I wanted to learn everything, you know, logging in every single piece of information, making sure every specialist knew what happened with the other because there's so much delay and there's so much room for error in those situations because they have to deal with a lot. Yeah. So yeah, totally hear you. Yeah. So you felt that you felt that pain. So it sounds like you've since then you've dove in. I'm curious, do you have, would you consider yourself technical? Do you have a development IT coding chops or do you leave that all for your co-founders? I do. I'm very much entrenched. Uh, I work very closely with uh, our CTO is phenomenal, our engineering team and our products. So I go very deep in the products. I look at the code, Awesome. Uh, but you don't want me to code. I'm a very bad coder. <laughs> you see, I mean, there are things where I want to, to, to augment my strength and not my weaknesses. <laughs> so again, it's such, you know, when you, when you build a company and when you lead, you build a team and you, you know, you lead a company, there are so many things you, you cannot do, you will never be able to do. And so you really have to understand that for yourself and surround yourself with the right team. But you need to have a good understanding of what is happening at every single level of the company and the teams. I love to remain really connected with every aspect. Uh, it's kind of feeding me <laughs> to move forward. <laughs> so talk a little bit about neural nets, uh, because you've been an angel investor in a company that also was in this type of uh, space, neural net for financial services. It got acquired. You mentioned a little bit loosely about some of the unlocking the potential that it can have. For our audience, it's not as certain what a neural net is. What is a neural net? And then talk about, you mentioned one application, but I'd love to hear some more use cases and applications you see coming down the road, especially in the health space. Yeah, no, sure. Absolutely. So there are different examples, but um, so just to, to keep it, you know, very simple, I, I love to be very simple when I explain uh, the technology. And in AI, we, we, have a, we have such a great stack of AI technology at the company. So we have neural nets, but we also have, uh, edge AI that uh, I will love to explain and federated learning because they are very, very promising for uh, the idea of being able to unlock, you know, the value of health data for better insights and, and help, you know, the health of millions of people. But for, for the neural nets, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you have the, the typical machine learning environment where, uh, you know, you have 
it's very constrained. You have rules and, um, the algorithm has all kind of rules, uh, so that it can perform, uh, and become potentially better. For a neural net, it's very interesting because it's an environment where, uh, it keeps on learning by itself. You don't really have to give that algorithm some constraints. And then it comes back with results that you potentially improve with more data, uh, if it's good or you just correct if you don't have what you want. So for the neural nets we have um, at Doc.ai, like I said, uh, they are great, especially when they are on the edge, on the on people's phones, uh, because this is what people use. And we do that for, like I said, for the phenotype. So it's really fun. It's, you take a picture and it just, you know, predicts your age, uh, your height, all the phenotype information. And based on that, uh, can push you some level of, insights coming from the CDC databases. You know, the CDC has so much research and databases just based on your age and your sex. There are certain buckets of risks you are already in. So, uh, and many people don't know that. Mm -hmm. And so just by, you know, enabling that in a few seconds, it's just great. For the neural net we use for the medication, it's also very interesting because to your point, the names of the medications are so hard to type in. So you can use drop downs. That's not a problem. But just taking a picture of that, you know, medicine pill box. Uh, and by the way, it does prescription as well as over the counter is so important because, you know, um, in your medical record, uh, we might know what you take as medication, but we don't know what you take over the counter, uh, that you buy regularly. And so, those are the kind of things that we make it easy to collect. In AI, to extend a little bit, um, there is also the concept of edge AI, which is extremely important because you refer to privacy. Um, and edge AI is basically the possibility of having, once you collect that data on your phone, we are able to store the data on your phone and we are able to have that data being computed on your phone. We don't need to go to a cloud for that. And as use cases, we are using that for um, two of our products already deployed. So our most recent product is a safety at work, return to work uh, app that is distributed by our largest customer, Anthem, to all the employers. And this is an app where people uh, do the self-assessment. Uh, they collect all kind of, you know, uh, personal health information on their phone. But all that information remains on their phone. This, it's not touching any cloud. So employers feel safe. Unions love it. And still employers have a dashboard where they can see the outcome of all that data being collected. And we've been using that for genetics as well. We have a, a genetic browser where we enable people to upload the genetic data and compare. Uh, they can browse through it. It's really cool in terms of UI and UX. But you can compare the risks you might you might share uh, within your family just by putting the phones on each other, sharing via a QR code. And again, there's absolutely no data going to any cloud. It's all happening locally on the phones. That's edge AI. Do you see a space in time or I guess when? I, I think it's going to happen, but I'm curious more when. When will, when will humans have enough confidence AI to take actual recommendations? So imagine a world, I mean, because this is what I'm imagining. I imagine a world where if now you're be able to capture my records, you know what I'm taking for medication, 
uh, probably needs to be a little bit even more advanced. You, you know my history, my records, you know my size, you know my weight, you know my outcomes. Uh, if I'm wearing a tracking watch or health tracker, it's capturing data and possibly sending it transformed through your system to another system. The question then becomes, when does AI get to the point where it can make the same recommendation a doctor recommends? When does it say like, hey, you need to up, down your dosage, you need to, pres- I'm prescribing you X, Y, Z procedure or whatever the case may be. I'm curious, when do you think that happens where, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. Like there's some crazy things that happen. Let's say like musculoskeletal injuries. Yep. Uh, let's say, for example, like an ACL tear, you know, a really trained doctor could sometimes just do a couple field tests on the field and just be like, okay, you're, you might have a torn ACL. And of course they use an MRI to confirm it. But does it ever, does AI ever get to the point where it'll just know, it'll just know. And then like, it'll, someone will tell me, Hey, I, I have a, you know, torn ACL. I need to get in this case, a musculoskeletal, you know, procedure done to myself. I'm curious what your vision is for the future of AI in regards to its ability to diagnose. It's one thing to record the inputs and the outcomes. The next thing would be diagnosing solution. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. You know, I want to start with the fact that it would take us 300 years to train enough medical specialists for the need of this world globally. We know, we know we can't do that. So we have in healthcare, we have a scale problem. Uh, people in the U.S. see a doctor average six minutes per year. What can you do in six minutes? So, um, that's, that's, that's a problem. Uh, you know, access, uh, to, to, to healthcare, uh, access to care is an issue. So I think when it comes to AI, you have to look at it as, you know, AI becoming part of a team of human beings, uh, to augment what doctors are already doing and potentially take over tasks that are super repetitive. Uh, where you don't really need, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fully validated. When it comes to diagnostics and also administrative tasks like chatbot to be able to drive you to the right care, the right schedule, the right whatever you need. When it comes to diagnostics, I think, um, listen, there's still a lot of work to do because we simply need to uh, clinically validate those algorithms that could potentially use for diagnostic purposes. So potentially, yeah, we are getting there and there's a lot of work happening. Uh, but you need clinical validation. Now, what is very interesting is that the impact of the pandemic uh, has accelerated everything. Before the pandemic, everybody in healthcare was already talking about being able to be more uh, data-driven in the delivery of the care. And being more data-driven suggests that you need some form of intelligence, <laughs> which, is, which is AI. But the thing is, the pandemic has accelerated everything and has also accelerated how the regulator behaves and how the regulator uh, pursue, uh, perceive the concept of emergency. What we have done with the, with the vaccine for COVID-19, being able to bring a vaccine to market in less than 12 months instead of the typical decade, it's just mind blowing. Uh, so we are not going back. You know, the bar has risen really high. Uh, we are not going back. So, uh, the, the, the bar has been set really high and set expectations really higher for, for everybody. But again, it's about clinical validation. Um, and we are getting there a bit faster because of that acceleration and also because of other type of technology that are being deployed as we speak, uh, such as federated learning. And federated learning is very exciting because again, it's an AI 
uh, a technique where instead of sharing the data coming from the phones or from a cloud, you share the learnings. Uh, you can share them with other phones or with other clouds. You can do that within enterprise, outside enterprise, and it's really accelerating what we can learn from that data. Again, historically, it's been when we refer to healthcare being fragmented and siloed, um, it's also referring to the lack of data sharing because that's not how the business models of healthcare have been designed and built. But if you have techniques that enable the sharing of the learning in real time instead of the data, then we are talking. It's mind-blowing what's possible coming down the road, uh, what we can, what can potentially be accomplished. I think your point about it's going to be, it's not whether AI replaces humans, it's the idea that how AI enables humans to be better at what they do is, uh, is probably you know, the more likely scenario, but you know, people are get scared. They think of like a uh, Skynet, <laughs> Skynet's coming to get them. I know, but that's why you see for me being, I've been in tech and science all my life, but I've been wanting to be part of the design team because my voice counts. Yeah. And so what I'm building, what I'm doing and making it accessible, understandable uh, on people's phone, uh, making things very transparent, privacy by design. I want as many people as possible to be part of that journey because, you know, this is their journey. This is our journey. Those algorithms are supposed to be built with our data, all of us, but we need to have the right product, the right mechanisms, the right privacy settings, the right security settings so that everybody feels safe and also uh, incentivized to do it for the right, re- the right reason. No, Sam, that is absolutely true. I want to thank you, first of all, for sharing all this information about what your vision is and what Doc AI is up to. But right now, it's time for us to enter the lightning round. And the lightning round is when we ask you quick, fast questions to let people get to know you beyond your role as CEO at Doc AI. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> all right. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce customer platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Sam, where are you from? I'm from Paris in France. What is the number one thing you miss about France? Because you now live in the United States. What's the number one thing you miss about France? I know. Okay. So uh, I will say the cheese. The cheese? <laughs> yeah, I love cheese. <laughs> I love French cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so I miss the cheese. And let me tell you what I miss. Um, it's um, the, the, the possibility to just uh, walk on the street to go and do your daily shopping you know, not having to take the car all the time and walk through the streets and enjoy the beauty of the architecture for the last centuries. Just looking and walking in the streets, you are exposed to to art and beauty. I miss that. When you raising your children, did you did you teach them how to speak French? Yeah, my kids speak three languages. They speak uh, French, they speak English and Dutch because my husband is Belgian Flemish and uh, Flemish is the equivalent to Dutch. So yeah, they speak all these languages. (laughs) That's amazing. One of the things that is known about Europe is, of course, it's easy to travel between countries. Where will you visit first when travel restrictions are lifted? Uh, Probably Paris to see my family. Oh, awesome. How much of your family members do you still have in Paris? Oh, I have my entire family. My mother is still there, my brothers and sisters, my niece. Um, Yeah, they're all there. We miss each other. (laughs) (laughs) My parents are immigrants from Taiwan and they're each one of five children. But 
we have no family members in Taiwan anymore. They've all immigrated to other places. Wow. So I was always curious to see if people stay or you know go somewhere else. I'm the first, the first branch of my family to migrate to the United States. And by the way, I recently became a citizen. Congratulations. It's very fresh. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Sam, I want to thank you once again for joining us today on IT Visionaries, sharing a little bit about your background, sharing your love of France and traveling among Europe. I think what you're doing at Doc AI is awesome. Obviously, I, like I said before, I'm personally very much interested in anything that can improve health outcomes around the world. So it's awesome to see companies going after it, you know, solving this problem. Thank you, Albert. Really appreciate um, the time and um, stay safe. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.